0: Uh, This evening, we're going to be in Psalms 75. Um, This is another psalm of uh, Asaph. Uh, But I think Psalm 75, uh, it directly links to and connected to, I think, Psalm 74. In fact, I think Psalm 75 is the answer to Psalm 74. Uh, And it actually ties into Psalm 73 and Psalm 76, but... More specifically, I think Psalm 75 is uh, the answer that Asaph was looking for uh, from, the Psalm, uh, from Psalm 74. So what I want us to do just for a little bit is kind of recap the Psalm, uh, Psalm 74, to kind of get the idea of where we're at with Psalm 74. The context, of course, was the Babylonian invasion and the destruction of the temple. And as those events unfolded... Uh, there were several things that that Asaph uh, he couldn't reconcile in his mind. Um, there was first the perceived rejection of God uh, that we see in the first part of Psalm seventy-four, and also the apparent victory of God's enemies. Uh, we've seen here they invaded the temple, they they mocked God there, they they hung pagan banners, they destroyed the altars. They burned the temple. They, they dominated the people. Uh, there was a silence of God's prophets. Uh, so Asaph was really struggling, and he was struggling with... He wanted to know why God was absent in all of that. He wanted to know... Uh, he didn't have any answers for his circumstances. If, if you were to ask Asaph during that time what was taking place, why all that was happening... I believe he'd just have to shrug his shoulders. I think that was his problem. He just he he couldn't fathom, he couldn't understand why all of that was going on, why all that was happening, and why God had apparently abandoned them. Um, he he was really struggling with that when it comes in Psalm seventy-four. But the beauty of the psalm was that despite all of the um, all of the negative circumstances that Asaph uh, chose trust God. We've seen in Psalm 74 and verse 12, he says, for God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. So, Asap began to recount other difficult circumstances that that they faced and how God delivered them. And the rest part of Psalm 74, uh, of course, uh, he started making reference to in a lot of Poetic language to uh, uh, the judgment that was brought upon Egypt, the Exodus there. Uh, he how they uh, the events of the Red Sea, of uh, them crossing over into the Promised Land, uh, their lack of water in the wilderness. Just a lot of different events he started recalling there, and how God was with them then. So I think in some way that brought him some comfort, that brought him a little bit of ease. But all those events uh, seemed hopeless, but God intervened. So I think as, as Asap was going through these things in Psalm 74 and him seeing this, this absence of God when he got to the end of the psalm, um, he didn't ask for an explanation, but he did have some requests, if you recall. Uh, his request was, remember the enemy. In other words, God, you know who the enemy is. You need to do something about this. Remember the beloved, remember the covenant, and remember your glory. So as he goes through all these circumstances that he can't figure out, he does make a request to God. uh, I don't know why you're abandoning us, but I just need you to remember uh, these things. And again, he's still trying to find an answer. Now, all in all, it was an inspiring song. I think Psalm 74 is probably something we could sing today uh, when we're feeling down, when we're feeling like our circumstances uh, aren't going very well, and sometimes we don't have an answer for it. Sometimes we don't know uh, uh, what God's plan is in it. Sometimes things look so devastating to us, we think, where is God in all of this? Um, I think Asaph was feeling a lot of things that Job felt. You know, why have you abandoned me? Why is this happening? You know, he was wanting some answers that he just wasn't getting. And I think today we have the same thing, and maybe we could sing uh, uh, Psalm 74 when we feel like that. But the reality was that the psalm ended in faith, uh, but not in sight. He was looking at things. There was no resolution given by God. There was no answer given. There was no explanation. It just ended with a expression of his faith and his trust in God, even though he didn't know why all these things were happening. So now that brings us to Psalm 75. But what makes Psalm 75, I believe, so important and so joyful, if you will, is because I believe Psalm 75 is his answer. Uh, With all the struggle that he had in Psalm 74, all these questions he's trying to figure out, I believe Psalm 75 is that answer. Now the real heart of the Psalm is uh, I think in verses two through five where God actually speaks. He, he actually gives an answer to all the I think the struggles of of Asaph feeling like God has abandoned him or abandoned them. Um, and I think verses two through five of Psalm 75 is that answer to that. Now I'm not sure um and I want to say this. I, I think as I was reading this psalm, here's what I was kind of thinking anyway. At first, I was thinking, okay, here's that answer is God speaking down to Asaph? You know, but I don't believe this is some new revelation. It's not like God is just speaking right down to Asaph. I think Asaph is getting this another way. I think Asaph is actually hearing a message, he's hearing a sermon. And this is where his confidence is going to come from. He's hearing the Word of God through through maybe a sermon, and he's getting that affirmation that he needs, that confidence that he needs in God through God's Word that way. And and I'm going to show you as we go through this psalm uh, why why I believe that. Um, If you remember in Psalm 73, I want to go back here just a second. I promise we're going to get to Psalm 75. But remember in Psalm seventy-three, when Asaph was, he he was perplexed. He was upset because the wicked were prospering. I don't know if you remember we did this on live stream through, uh, uh, through the computer because of the snow and ice that was out. But remember Asaph in Psalm seventy-three, he was struggling of why the wicked were prospering, and then notice what happened in verses sixteen through seventeen. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. So Asaph was struggling in Psalm 73, and what did he do? He went to the sanctuary, he went to worship, he heard a message from God's word, and he said, now I understand. Now now, now I understand about this. I understand what the wicked's end is going to be. And I think Psalm 75 is a lot like that. He's struggling in Psalm 74. He's struggling with why these things are happening. He's struggling with all the devastation that's around him. And what does he do? He he hears something from God's Word. God reveals himself to him again through his message. And I think that helps Asaph. And I tell you, as I was reading Psalm 75 or through Psalm 73 and on, I started to get encouraging because I think sometimes... We can get into that rut. We can get into a rut to where we, we see devastation maybe. We get into a rut where we don't understand things. We get into a rut where we're thinking, where is God in all of this? And then what we need to do is just worship God and he, hear His message, hear His word. Here's what's being proclaimed from His word to help us get through our life. That's the purpose of coming to worship, isn't it? Is to worship God, to hear His word, to hear His message... That's how he reveals himself to us is through his word. And I think uh, Asaph here is getting a lot of of comfort from that. So uh, we see here how uh, as we get into Psalm 75, he gives us an excerpt of that message. He gives us an excerpt of what I believe the message is that he heard. Look at Psalm 75 and verse 1. He says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your wondrous works. Declare that your name is near. Now, the actual answer itself, I think, is going to come starting in verse 2. But he begins here in the very beginning thanking God. And he's thanking God for revealing himself to him. Notice again, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your wondrous works. Declare that your name is near. Now some some versions, if you uh, uh, read some versions, some will read that uh, his his works were declared to us. I think it's the American Standard reads that way. Uh, some other versions does. The English Standard reads close to that. But basically, what it's saying, he's thanking God because his message was declared. His message about his wondrous works were declared to him. In other words, he heard a message from God. He heard God's message. He heard from God's word. And he he first and foremost is beginning it with thanking God. And I've thought about this. We we need to thank God, don't we, that he's revealed himself to us? Because think about it. uh, When we want to know how to live, when we want to know what life is all about, what God expects from us, how do we find that out? Through his word, he reveals himself to us, doesn't he? Now, Asaph doesn't start out here and saying, well, it's about time you finally showed up, God. It's about time you're finally saying something. It's about time I'm having this, I'm finally understanding this. He doesn't do this. He starts out by thanking God. Notice again what he says. He says, we thank you, O God. We give thanks for you, for your wondrous works have been declared to us. So all that struggle that he went through in Psalm 73 of of trying to understand why the wicked are prospering and why the righteous seem to be suffering, he said, I went to the sanctuary of God and then I understood. Now you get into Psalm 74, he's seeing all this destruction, he's seeing all this devastation and how they are uh, 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 desecrating the temple. Where is God in all this? Now in Psalm 75, God is showing up. Of course, God was there all along, but in his mind, God is showing up, and he's thanking God for that. He's thanking God for revealing himself. Um, so we see he uh, gets an answer to uh, the struggles that he's having, and he's grateful for God allowing his, his, his word to be revealed. And I think that's, uh, that's something we need to think about, because I think sometimes we're not as grateful... As we should be, we're not as thankful as we should be that God revealed himself to us. That he reveals his word to us. But let's look here starting in uh, uh, verse 2. We, we see an excerpt of the sermon that he, that he got. He, here's the, this revelation from God. Here's the truth that perhaps Asaph had forgotten about. Notice starting in verse 2. His, and this is God here. He says, when I choose the proper time... I will judge uprightly. The earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. I set up its pillars firmly, Salah. I said to the boastful, do not deal boastfully. And to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. So as, as we see this, we, we see... Uh, God revealing himself and God, him hearing this message from God's word of the struggles, maybe the answer to, I think, the struggles that he was facing in the previous psalm of seeing all this devastation and wanting to know why that God is letting the enemies take over, why God is letting the enemies do this. Now, maybe he wasn't thinking at that time God was the one that was in control of it. But all he could see at the moment, and we've got to put ourselves in that situation. All he could see at that moment was this devastation and how they're, they're, it's like they're walking all, walking all over anything sacred to them. And they're wanting to know where God is. Now God says this, when I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. Now I, I think this is something uh, for us to, to think about. Uh, he speaks of his sovereignty here. What he's saying through, through his word, through his message is when, when we want to say, just like Asaph said, when are you going to do something about the wicked people? When are you going to do something about your enemies? When are you going to do something about all of this that's happening? God said, I'll do this at my own time. I judge uprightly, but I will do it at a time that I choose to do it. And I mean, think about that. Think about what he, what he says here. We have to come to grasp with, when we see things that are happening, when we see these, these struggles and trials and it seems like wickedness is all around us and we may think, well, where's God in all this? We've got to understand, God knows exactly what's going on. And he said, I judge uprightly and I, I will judge at a time that I see fit. Not when I see fit or not when you see fit when he sees fit. And, and that speaks of his sovereignty. He says, I am sovereign over the timing of judgment. Now, Asaph wanted justice and God said, I'll give justice, but it will be in my time and it will be uh, my way, how I do it, how I choose to do it, not yours. See, we have to understand that. We can get I'm just speaking for myself, we can get so excited and and thinking, well, this has to be done like this. This has to be done now. This has to be done this way. God knows when it needs to be done, and God will do it, because he is a righteous judge. Again, the timing of judgment has always been God's prerogative. And I think that's hard to swallow sometimes, because we want... We say we want justice now, but I think it comes down to we want revenge now, don't we? Somebody does something to us, we want revenge now. We want something to happen now. God, why aren't you avenging me now? Well, God knows what individuals do to his people. He knows exactly what's going on, and he will do what's right at the right time. But it's hard for us to see that because what we see is just the devastation that's happening right now and don't understand why God is not doing something about that right now. And I tell you, that's hard to swallow. When it comes to the sovereignty of God, I'll be honest with you, that's a tough one. That's something that Job had to swallow because God basically told him, listen, life's not fair. I know what's going on. You've got to trust me. Trust that I have your best interest in mind. Trust that I know what's going on. But life's tough. Get a helmet. That's basically what he said, wasn't it? It, it, It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But God knows what's going on. He knows what's happening to his children. And God will take care of it during that time. We even remember way back the days of Abraham when God was making promises regarding the giving of the land to Abraham's descendants. Remember Genesis chapter 15? He says, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs. And will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nations whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God had every intention of giving Israel the land. He had every intention of judging Egypt. He had every intention of taking care of the Canaanites. But his timing was not theirs. It was God's. God's saying the timing's not right. As he said with the Amorites, it's not, their iniquity is not yet complete. It's not that God's going to plan A, B, C, and D. God's always had a plan A. God knows exactly what's going on, and His timing was, I will take care of this when the time is right. And here's what's, what's going to happen. So here He's saying, I'm a sovereign God, I know what's going on, and I'm going to take care of this. Now, I think this is certainly true regarding the timing of God's, uh, of God's judgment. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows—not even the angels of heaven—but my Father only. So you know, I wanted to put this in here because I believe the disciples were thinking the same thing that maybe was going through Asaph's mind. Asaph seen them coming in, pillaging and degrading the temple, and 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 walking all over everything that they had that they held dear to them. And in his mind, this has to be the end. We can't go on like this. If this is destroyed, how are we going to go on and where is God in all this? Remember, that was the same discussion that, that Jesus had with his disciples, when his disciples were going around showing them the temple, showing them how great everything was. And he said, there won't be one stone unturned. They couldn't distinguish, and you could tell that in Matthew 23 by the question they asked, they couldn't distinguish between the destruction of the temple and the end of time. He felt like both of them had to take place pretty much at the same time. If one's going to be destroyed, that's got to be the end. And Jesus goes on in Matthew 24 and talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. Then he goes in in verse 36 and says, But at that time, talking about the end, he said he's got a time for that, and no one knows that but the Father. So when it comes to judgment, when it comes to righteous judgment, when it comes to timing, it's always been on God's timing. When things look bleak to us that we think, how in the world can, can it go on? It's been like that before. And God said, I know what's going on. It's going to be in my timing. God knows the day. God determines the day. And it's his prerogative alone. Look in Acts 17, beginning at verse 30. It says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he's ordained. He has given assurance of this this to all by raising him from the dead. So see, God reminds Asaph of this here, I believe. You want justice? You want judgment? The timing for that judgment, the timing for that justice, God is saying, is mine. I have a time for that. It's going to be the proper time, he said, verse 2, but it's going to be a time at my choosing because God says he judges uprightly. And that's something we need to make sure we remember and we understand. God's judgment is a just uh, judgment. He says he judges uprightly. It's the Hebrew word, meishar. And that means uh, it's a level, it's a smooth, it's an even, it's a right judgment. It's not crooked, it's not broken. So when God says He judges uprightly, He doesn't judge like we do. He judges righteously and uprightly. He he does what is fair and just. Do you think we could judge like that? I know I couldn't. Because I would judge in the heat of the moment. You know, I want my satisfaction, and I want it now. You know, I, I, I want—I want it done this way. This is what I think. This has to be done. You remember when he called? uh, uh, uh all the brothers there? Uh, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, sons of thunder. Do you remember why he did that? Jesus did that. They wanted to rain down fire on the Samaritans because what they do—throw a few rocks at them or call them some names—and. Uh, they, they just got hot under the collar, basically, didn't they? You know, Jesus was trying to let them know that, that that's not how it works. <laughs> you know that, that's not what it's what it's going to be. It's he doesn't judge like I do. He's not haste in his judgment. He's not rash. You know, as far as I you know, I want to judge in the heat of the moment. There, there's you know, I could pray all the time, God. I want vengeance on this. This happened to me or this was out of my control. I can't do anything about it. And it makes me so mad I could scream. I want you to do something about it. Does he work that way? He doesn't work that way. God knows what's just. And what I'm thinking needs to be done is more than likely not just. I don't want something just. I don't want something right. I want vengeance. That's how it goes a lot of times, isn't it? You know, I want want this done to make me feel better. It's not about making us feel better, but now let's put ourselves in Asaph's shoes here. His point of view is not for himself, but for what's happening to what he believed was was God's sanctuary to to all the sacred things, to his people, and how could God let that happen? Why, Why would God abandon it like that? And he says, I'm not abandoned. I will do it at the proper time and the proper way. And we have to accept that when, when that happens. Um, in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it says, Who will render to each one, talking about God, who will render each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient, uh, patient countenance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. And this is the first thing I believe that God is teaching or reminding, I think, Asaph here, is I can bring the justice, don't worry about that. I, I, I can bring, I, I can reward the righteous and I can punish the wicked. God's got that well in hand. The problem we have is the timing, we think. And God has a time, he says, for everything. And, and, and again, I think that's hard for us to, to grasp sometimes. Now, he goes on here and he, he goes a little bit further. Look at verse 3. He says, the earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. I set up its pillars firmly. I think this goes back to what our abilities are. You know, we, we think things have to be done a certain way. We think we're capable of doing it ourselves. But God is saying, no, you're not. But I am. I, I think, again, to the concern of Asaph, there was destruction everywhere. I think it must have felt, I think, again, very close to the end. He must have felt like... Uh, they couldn't continue any longer, uh, and he's trying to figure out a way to help this. He, he thinks he can understand it from a from a uh, earthly or carnal, fleshly perspective. But think about this: when when God is saying this, look, He says the earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. He says, but I set up its pillars firmly. So, what is He saying? You're not the one that can sustain everything. We're not the ones. We're not the ones that have that ability. Everything exists. Everything survives. Everything is going on because God is the one that holds it up. He, he holds up the pillars firmly. We don't do that. I mean, think about this today. You're always hearing these doom and gloom. You always hear about global warming and... And the environment and everything, how we're destroyed and pretty soon we're going to destroy the world. Or they say COVID-19 is going to take out everybody or, or, or something else is going to happen. All the civil unrest. Well, they're all, We always want to come up with something that's going to destroy everything. And when we think we have that ability to do that. But do we? I mean, think about it. We Look how much uh, how Much of an ego, I think, it takes for us to think that that we have that answers and have that ability to do these things. And and this has gone on for years. Um, But look what God says. He says, I set up its pillars firmly. I'm the one that holds it together. Remember in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, what he said? He said, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease think God's in control of it you know when you start thinking about you know as he says here look again what he says the earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved I set up its pillars for from God's the one that holds it together we, we think sometimes we we're doing all of this ourselves. we're holding all the governments together we're holding all the the environment together and and at any moment it's all just going to break and dissolve and the world's going to be over Just doom and gloom, doom and gloom. Now, can we harm things and do things? Well, of course we can. But God said, I'm the one that holds it up. It survives because I allow it to survive. And it's going to end when I say it's going to end. Just like his justice. I'll do it at my proper time and my way. And God has told us the way he's going to do it. Remember what he said in Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 35. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night. Who disturbs the sea and its waves roar? The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. Remember what he said in 2 Peter 3, verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Do we actually think... All the stuff we can do, God's going to say, oh, they're going to destroy the world before, I, before my time is. Oh, look at all that they've done. I didn't realize they had that capability to do that. I had it set for this time, but they're going to do it for this time. No. God knows, don't he? God said, this is how it's going to be. This is how I set it up. See, I think the lesson, the message that... The, the word that, that Asaph is receiving is, should remind him as it does us. We get caught up in all of these things, but God's one in control. God knows what I'm going through. He knows what I'm facing. He knows what's going on around. And he says, on my time, my way, as I see fit. That's the sovereign God. And sometimes that's hard for our proud Beings to comprehend. It is for me. I'm a pretty proud person. I I, I, I want to figure things out. I get all excited and anxious because something doesn't work out, and I think it, this is this, and I, I I get all worked up about all that, and I just got to remember sometimes, you know, Ron, I'm, I, you're not in control of everything here. You know, you're you're not the one that that is in charge. But notice he goes on, and we may not get done. We may take us a couple Wednesday nights on this one, but. Uh, talks about him judging his people. Look in John, or James 4 and 6. But he gives more grace. Well, let's go, to, uh, sorry, I skipped uh, Psalm 75, verses 4 and 5. He said, I said to the boastful, do not deal boastfully. And to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. So what he's talking about here is the prideful, the proud. He, he's picturing, you know, trying to put a yoke on oxen. They they will stick their horns up. They'll stick their neck up. They'll be stick neck, stick stiff necked, so not to have that burden, not to have that that on them. And he says that's what people can do. We can we can put our horns up on high. We can stiff up our neck to where you're not putting that yoke on me. I'm not going to be submissive. I'm not, you're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to show me which way to go. And that's what he says the boastful do. He said, I said to the boastful, do not deal boastfully. To the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. In other words, don't rebel against me. He says, I know what the boastful can do, but you need to understand what I can do. He said, so you need to be... Submiss-. Isn't that what Jesus says? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I, Uh, come all ye that labor and heavy laden. His yoke is different than what we think it's going to be. Sometimes we're too proud for it. We're too stiff-necked for it. We stick up our heads and we don't want it because we want to be in control. But guess what? With a sovereign God, we can't be in control. Again, the only reason we know what to do to do right is because God has revealed it to us. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. He wanted to do that. So everything that we know to live rightly is what he reveals to us to do through his word. That's what Asaph is learning here. That's what he learned from Psalm 73 when he said, I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, then I understood their ways and their end. He didn't understand unless God revealed it to him. He's not understanding all this devastation until it's coming from his word again. That, yeah, I see the devastation, but guess what? I'm in control of it. And I'm going to do rightly because of it. In James 4 and 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you remember Luke 18 and 14, the Pharisee and the publican, He said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then you can remember the Beatitudes, John's is talking about this on Sunday mornings, you know, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the gentle, they're the ones that's going to inherit the kingdom of heaven, not the proud, not the rebellious, not the ones that stick up their horns, stick up stiff neck, it's not those, it's those that submit to his will. Realize who we are. We're the created, not the creator. We're, we're the clay. We're not, we're not the potter. We're the pot. And the pot don't get to tell the potter, hey, I don't want to be a bowl, I want to be a cup. We don't have that privilege. We serve a sovereign God. And that, that's what he's I think that's what he's showing here. But let's move just a little bit farther, and then we'll have to give it a close. In verses six through eight. It says, For exhortation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely it dregs dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. So what does he remind Asaph here? We don't have to avenge ourselves. We think we do. We think we should, but we don't. He is the judge, and he will judge in his time. Look in Romans 12, in verse 17. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heat coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think this is a good message for Asaph here. I mean, think about it. Even in captivity, the Jews were never called to rise up and win their freedom from the Babylonians. Look in Jeremiah. Look at what their specific command was. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build your houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat their fruit, take their wives, begat sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for... In its peace, you will have peace. You you don't think, I mean, think of Asaph. Do you think he wanted to avenge them for coming in doing what they did? And what does God tell him to do? You learn to live there. You be at peace there. I know what's going on. I know exactly where you're at, and I will take care of it. But I will take care of you in that situation so you live this. You know, we talk about all the unrest and all the things that's happening in our country and how we've got to change. And I get so mad sometimes I want to throw TV out. I want to just punch my radio every morning when I go to work. But I think of it in those ways instead of thinking, how does God want me to live here? I've still got to live here. What does he want me to do? Yeah, I need to do my part to do all I can to change it, but I'm not going to get rid of the evil myself, am I? but I can learn to live here and still be righteous doing it and do the best I can to get his word and message out to change those that I can. I mean, when you think about who we serve and, and what we want to avenge, he said, vengeance is mine. I, I'm going to take care of it. You don't need to be going out and, and busting heads. I'll do, I'll do that for you. And my time, my way. And Asaph, he felt like Babylonians needed that right now. But what did God command them to do? See, it was different than what he thought. And I think that's hard to—it's uh, hard for us to grasp sometimes. Um, God said that he's going to be the one to do it. Look in uh, Jeremiah 51, beginning at verse 54. So the sound of a cry comes from Babylon and great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans, Because the Lord is plundering Babylon and silencing her voice, though her waves roar like great waters and the noise of their voice is uttered. Because the plunders come against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men are taken. Every one of their bowls is broken, for the Lord uh, Lord is the God of recompense. He will surely repay. So think about it. So here's what he told them to do, but here's what he said. He said... I'm taking care of it. I'm going to handle it when the time is right. So God God knows what's going on, and God won't forget. What is our job here on earth? We'll end with 2 Corinthians 5. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and have given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now think about that. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And look at Psalm 75, 9 through 10. Isn't that what he's saying? But I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will also cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. So we're going to be exalted and we need to sing his praises and we need to realize God takes care of the wicked, but God also takes care of the righteous and we're only righteous because he makes us righteous. We're not righteous on our own. He makes us that way. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become righteous, the righteousness of God in him. So I think as he was teaching Asaph here, I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn to kind of help us throughout this world ourselves.